Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 14? And let's look at verses 15 through 24. The invitation, or just how hungry are you? Let's look at it, all right? First of all, the feast awaits. We're still at the same scene that we've seen the last couple of weeks or so. Jesus has been invited by a ruler, an official of the Pharisees, to a meal. They all scrambled for the important chief seats. You know how the New Testament teaches on that. Christ has observed they have brought him there to trap him because it's on the Sabbath. And they just happen to have a guy there with dropsy. Of course, we've studied those things, but the important thing to note is that we are still in the same setting, still, still the folks are reclining at this table. Jesus is despised by those who are at the feast, and he knows it. Several weeks ago, some chapters back, we saw that the line has been drawn. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, have said to the people that Jesus does what he does by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan, of hell. So they've called him demonic or satanic in all that he does and has done. So Jesus now has taken off the gloves and he's counterattacking these religious folks who think they can enter into the kingdom of God without submitting to the Christ of God. With that in mind, Jesus gives another parable. I think it's called by some the parable of the supper. Part one, the feast is waiting for you. Let's look at it. Beginning in verse 15. Then one of those reclining with him, having heard these things, said to him, Blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus has referenced the kingdom. He has referenced to the first resurrection. And religious folks We'll talk about heaven, we'll talk about the kingdom, we'll talk about the resurrection of, of the just, of the righteous, the first resurrection, in terms of, of their own standard. By this time in history, the history of the Jews, the Pharisees had adopted a large piece of literature 
that made demands on the lives of Jewish people that were not part of the scriptures. Yet they applied them as equally as they did the scriptures. And of course, Jesus in previous times in his ministry has attacked them for this. To be a Jew in this particular day was a burdensome, awful thing. There was hardly any way that a person seeking to be a good Jew could actually be a good Jew. He couldn't remember all of the stuff that was laid on him. So he was always being called into account by Pharisees especially because he had tripped up somewhere. He simply didn't remember all of these codes and rules uh, and, and regulations that men had written to be imposed on other men. Of course, Jesus is, is the standard. He is, he is the gateway. He is the way to heaven. He's the king of the kingdom. He is God in their presence. Here, responding in some sort of religious way, one of the Pharisees, it might have been the official, the officer doesn't say, said to Jesus, after Jesus had referenced the first resurrection, he said to Jesus, blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I want to go back to um, Isaiah chapter 25 because these guys, they knew their Bible. And here's why he would say this. In Isaiah 25, beginning in verse 6, and Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of armies, Yahweh Tabat, Yahweh of armies, will make for all people a feast here on this mountain of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees of fat things full of myra, of wines on the lees well refined. This is, the, this is the choicest of a meal that a person could imagine in that day. And he will destroy this surface of the covering on this mountain cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and Adonai Yahweh, uh, the, Lord, the Lord God, will wipe away all tears from faces. And the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For Yahweh has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold... This is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him. We will be glad 
and rejoice in his salvation. So this would have been the reference to that great feast that God had promised in the Old Testament. This great feast for the people of God. But you have to take note that the feast is given for those who have waited for him and his salvation. So here's this guy who says, blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. By saying that, probably speaking for the group, this man does two things. He affirms his understanding of a feast coming that will inaugurate the kingdom. He understands that. He also, in saying this, affirms that he rejects Jesus and everything Jesus says. They have their own way of getting to this feast. They have their own belief about what it takes to sit at that feast table, all right? This now initiates the parable from Jesus. But he said to him, a certain man was preparing a great supper and invited many and he sent his slave at the hour of the supper to say to those having been invited, come, for it is now ready. We are told by those who study the culture and the history of that day that two invitations would have been extended. The first invitation would have been an RSVP kind of thing so that you would tell the host that you would be there so that he would be sure and make the proper preparations. Now the preparations in, in that day, you couldn't just go to Sam's or something. I mean, it was a big deal. You had to go out and find the animals and, and, and find the guy who had the wine and, and find the people who had the, 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 the material that you needed for a great supper. Obviously, those who were initially invited had RSVP'd they would be there. Now, it is incumbent on the host to make all of these very difficult and expensive preparations. Now the time comes. He has everything ready. And so he says to them, come, for it is now ready. The, the great feast is set. You said you were coming. You would, have, you would have left space in your calendar, and I'm expecting you to be there. Now, in Jesus' day, these guys around this table would have known that a, a great man like this who, who, who could make a big, a big feast and, and invite you, you would not turn him down. That would be something that uh, was just not done in that day, in that society. You wouldn't turn him down. Number two, you would recognize the fact 
that the guy was very pe peculiar in particular. And so you would expect if he invited you that no one less than who you are would be invited. That would be the expectation of everybody. So now he has spent all this money, hired all this help, has all of his caterers there. The food has been cooked at, at, no, at no small effort. The, 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 the barrels of wine have been purchased and have been carted in and the, the grounds have been set and decorated. It is a festive looking place waiting for a feast to happen. And so the guy says, it's ready. You RSVP'd, you said you were coming, so now come, for it's now ready. The feast is waiting. Part two, some won't come. Even though they were invited and expected, some won't come. Let's look at it. And with one voice, they all began to excuse themselves. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I need to go out to see it. I beg of you, hold me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I beg of you, hold me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. <laughs> and because of this, I'm unable to come. Now that last one I can kind of understand, but uh, <laughs> not really. With one voice, you get this? With one voice. Let's look at this one at a time here. With one voice, apparently never intended to come, but they had excuses. I bought a field, I need to go out and see it. Oh, I see, the field won't be there tomorrow. Dirt disappears after so long of a time and it won't be there. Why did that guy not make arrangements? Now his excuse is an excuse of possessions. I can't come because of my possessions. I'm, I'm going to venture a guess here that none of us ever bought the house we lived in without first going and looking at it. Am I right or am I right or am I right? And if you're looking for just property, just a, a, a field to buy or property somewhere, land to purchase, you'd want to look at it before you bought it because there's no telling what the land looks like. Could have sinkholes, it may be on the side of a rocky mountain. You don't know what it looks like. But here's this guy, so anxious to avoid the feast, he falls back on the fact that he has possessions that will prevent him from coming. Possessions. Second guy, 
I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I beg of you, hold me excused. So this guy is falling back on professional advancement. To buy five yoke of oxen, that was an expensive deal. That would be like, okay, okay, we have people here who have, who have been owner-operators of trucks, and those things are expensive. I'm going to hazard another guess that a guy never buys a truck unless he goes and tests it first. Oh, sure, give me any of them, I don't care. You're not gonna do that. That's how ridiculous this is. But for him to have five yoke of oxen means that he has, he's expecting an expansion in his business. So he's expecting to advance professionally. I can't come to the feast because I'm expecting to move up the ladder professionally. I just can't come. This would interfere with my professional advancement. The last one, I have married a wife and because of this, I'm unable to come. Okay, so let me think about this. I sent you out that first invitation, you RSVP'd and I told you it would be the time frame here. It's gonna take a while to go. And you knew this was gonna happen. So you couldn't set the date of your wedding some other time. Or you couldn't work all of this into it. You see, now this guy falls back on relationships. So one excuse has to do with material possessions. I can't come to the feast. I got stuff. And I'm more interested in my stuff than I am the feast. The second guy, I'm moving along and I'm moving up in the world and I can't come because my professional advancement is more important to me than being at that feast. The last guy says, there are people in my life that are more important to me than anything that you can do with regard to a feast, and I'm not coming. Now those, those, those general areas of excuses are, are just as um, are just as used today as they were in Jesus' day. People who have many possessions and they invest themselves in their stuff and that's the most important thing to them. You find that those people are very difficult to reach when it comes to extending an invitation it might get in the way of my stuff and the things that I do for me. Then there's the professional advancement. You know, especially these days, how people sneer and sneer at and mock Christians and Christianity. I can't, I can't be seen at a feast like that because of my job. Man, my, my, my advancement in the work that I do, this is more important to me than anything that you can offer at a feast. And then even though 
Christ has said, you know, if you're going to come and follow me, you're going to have to forsake everybody. Even though Christ has said that there are people who will use family as an excuse. I would challenge you to put it to the test. Start inviting people to church, which you should be doing anyway. See how many times somebody falls on their, back on their job, can't come, got a job. Or falls back on their stuff. I got something to do this weekend. We're going to go out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I got stuff. Or, man, I got, I got family. And I, it's, just, it's just hard for me to do this. You hear the same thing today. This is a fairly direct and pointed critique that Christ makes here in this parable. Now, here comes the report from the slave. And having come or having the slave reported these things to the master. Then having become angry, the master of the house said to his slave, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Everything is ready. The torches that light up the festive area, they're not going to burn forever. The food is going to spoil. It's not going to be good. Go out quickly into the streets and the, lane, and the lanes of the city. Find the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. That's exactly to whom Christ has gone in his ministry. Because the other people who should have been the ones to recognize and accept him, the ones that you would have expected to be the first to come to the feast, didn't want to come because Jesus was in the way. To appeal to grace rather than works. To fall on the face before God. And ask for a savior in your place. To take the place of a sinner, a lowly sinner. To pronounce that the law had not saved you. The law had only condemned you. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Jesus was in the way. So who did Jesus go to? Well, this is the kind of people he went to. The poor, crippled, blind, lame. The guy who has set the feast says, go quickly. The invitation is a critical thing. That people would come today is critical. There is no tomorrow. There's no such thing as tomorrow. We have a word. We have a next blank space on the calendar, or it may be full space for some people. But it's always now. It's always today. It's amazing what people will do to avoid the greatest thing that could ever come into their existence, namely, to have a place at that feast. So he says, 
The man who set the feast said, go quickly. Go into these places where you see people coming and going. And even the poor, crippled, blind, lame, tell them, bring them in. Part four, the urgency. The slave said, sir, it has been done as you command and there's still room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and the fenced places and urgently compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. The invitation is critical. It is also comprehensive. From the viewpoint and the perspective of the church, no one is excluded from this feast. No one. Everyone is invited. I can't control those who accept the invitation. I can't, I can't, I can't control that. But I can understand how critical the invitation is and how comprehensive the invitation needs to be. Listen, if you go fishing and you sit there all day and you don't have a bite, you're at the wrong fishing hole. You reel that sucker in and go to a fishing hole where the fish are biting. That's what Jesus is saying. They're out there. God is calling them to himself. Here is a room. It will be filled. Maybe not with the people that you may think ought to come. But it will be filled. So it's not only critical, the invitation, but it is also comprehensive. Go to the least likely place. Go to the place, there may be shady people there. Whoever you see, urgently compel them to come in. Part five, the tragedy. Now this story moves from a third person. There was a guy to first person. My supper. My table. Look at this. For I say to you that not one of those men having been invited will taste of my supper. I should have capitalized my. They won't be there. Because they fell back on the world. The things of the world. And this is religion. Religion is always of the world. They fell back on religious things so that, so that possessions could be accounted for. Professions and professional advancement could be accounted for. Personal relationships. Personal. Think of how twisted our society is today with regard to personal relationships. I mean, we're talking perversion, abomination. And yet there are so many people who will fall back on the excuse of the importance of personal relationships when it comes 
to being present at that feast. Jesus says, none of you guys, you call me the devil. You created and invented other ways that you think will carry you into the kingdom of heaven. None of you guys will sit at that supper. Now this advances this doctrine of the supper. It advances all the way through until we realize and understand the great supper is the marriage supper of the lamb. All, all of those who, who are of the bride of Christ, all of us who are believers in Christ, will be there. And the only reason that we'll be there is because we fail absolutely, totally, and completely upon the grace of God with regard to Jesus Christ. We collapsed as a person, dead in trespass and sin, helpless and hopeless, without the mercy of God. And God caused us to be born again. And so we're there rejoicing, not over all relationships, but only one relationship, and that is the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, the King who will be regarded here as the bridegroom. Jesus says, this is my supper. I'm talking about my supper. And you've chosen many reasons not to go. And your invitation will be rescinded. It looked like to begin with, this is Christ coming to Israel, coming to the Jew. They should have been the most likely ones to rejoice. Because remember what we read in Isaiah, we will rejoice when God comes to us and saves us. And that's the attitude of the feast as it's described in Isaiah 25. But the only way to be seated at that supper is to have come by the great invitation of Jesus Christ the Lord. You come through him, there's no other way. There's a, there's a greater message for the church as well, Shiloh Church, all churches. And the greater message is, this melts what we've read here in this parable, melts right into the Great Commission. You may remember from studying the Great Commission that the first phrase, going therefore, is a, is a participle phrase. That means as you're going along in life, make disciples. There's the imperative. Now the imperative here is go. Nobody in this world is just going to stand Still. So the Lord says, you're going to go, so go. You're also going to find people who some people may think shouldn't be invited. But those are the very ones you need to invite. Because the ones you expected to come didn't come at all. So what happens 
If you're not reeling in enough fish, you expand your horizons. You become more comprehensive in what we do. Because some infinitely glorious day, there won't be an empty seat in that great banquet hall. It will be filled by the declaration and power of God. You know, someday, Paul writes about it, someday, some infinitely glorious, wonderful day, the times of the Gentiles will come to an end. The last call of God will be extended. The last seat of the feast will be filled. Might be today, I don't know. I have no idea. But the fact that we are still here, still going through life, tells us that we must continue with great urgency to urgently compel people. You start with your family. These great, these, these great pictures of salvation, you know, there's the Philippian jailer and there's Cornelius, those guys. The Bible says they were baptized and their household. So they had, they had family, they had employees, they had friends. What's the first thing they did when they came to Christ? They told others. There's an urgent message for my family, for my associates at work, for those with whom I go to school. There's an urgent message. It's more important than family. It's more important than work. It's more important than school. Do you have a seat at the table? Are you going to come? Now, this is a commission for every one of us. There's not a single one in Christ who is left out of this. Not a single one. Not a single one. So as we go through this week, we would expect to come and cross the paths of others who need to be invited, urgently compelled to come in. God lays these people on our hearts. I've learned in my life, if you start having recurring thoughts about somebody, you better check on that person. Call them, talk to them. Find out about them. And if they've never come in, urgently compel them to come in. This is our work. This is who we do because the tragedy is there are some who will never taste of that great feast. I want all of my family to be there with me, all of my friends to be there with me, all of those with whom I have anything to do. I want them to know that there's a great feast in the kingdom that is yet to come. It's incomparable. There's no way to describe the glory of that day 
and I want them all to be with me. You should feel the same way about those who are close to you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came into this world to save sinners.